This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. It says in Revelation 1.16, Revelation 1.16 describes Christ as he had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance, his face, was as the sun shineth in his strength. So it was like the brightness of the sun. Revelation 10.1, Revelation 10.1 says, I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was upon his head and his face was as it were the sun, his feet as the pillars of fire. Isaiah describes this. Isaiah, in Isaiah 60, verse 19, Isaiah 60, verse 19, where Isaiah is talking about heaven, and Isaiah says, the sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. The sun shall no more go down, neither shall the moon withdraw itself, for the Lord shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy morning shall be ended. So he's up there with the three, Peter, James, and John, and they're not alone because in verse three, we read, and behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Now, this point here is very, very surprising that these two, Moses and Elias, should, Elijah, should appear. As a matter of fact, here now we have the first use of three times for this word, behold, in verse three is the first of three times when behold is gonna appear. And behold is really expressing an amazement of it all. It's expressing a, this is hard to process. It's expressing a, this is hard for us to take it all in. It's a, this is just kinda hard for us to keep our eyes open. The word behold tells us that how sudden this happened and how unexpected, it's such a surprise. There's Moses. Moses Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher. It's really Moses. He's standing there. He's so calmly talking with Jesus. I mean, uh, 
Moses, last anyone heard of Moses was that he took a walk with God to some mountain to die, and then God buried him in secret someplace, some unknown place. That's where last we heard of Moses. Here he is, he's standing there, very much alive. And there's Elijah. Elijah's there. Elijah, imagine. Last we heard of Elijah, he was picked up by a chariot out of the sky. No one ever saw him again. No one ever heard of him. He never died. But there he is, Moses and Elijah, and they're both talking. And Peter is like, uh, wow, this is a Kodak moment, Peter's thinking, you know. If only Peter had a camera, if only Peter had ever heard of a camera, you know. Uh, That's a million-dollar picture there of Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Sure like to have that picture, Peter is thinking to himself. And they're talking, Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus. And Peter is thinking, man, if I only had a picture of this, where's the palette? And I want to paint it, you know can be like a memorial site for everybody to see the sight of Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Oh, that'd be terrific. And Moses is thinking, Jesus, Moses, Elijah, memorial. And these were not imaginary people. These were real persons and he knew it. And there was something very special about them as well as described in Luke 9, 29, Luke 9, 29. As he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with them two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory. See, that's special. They appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with them. And it came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. <laughs> Moses and Elijah, there it is. Oh, boy, what something this is. Well, now you got to ask the next question. Why Moses? Why Elijah? There's a lot of other people, you know. Why not Joshua? You know, what's wrong with Joshua? Why not is Isaiah, David, King David? How about King David? He's pretty prominent in the Bible. These two are important, Moses and Elijah. They symbolize the whole of the Old Testament. They symbolize the whole of the Hebrew Scriptures, the law and the prophets. Here we have Moses, lawgiver. We have the prophet Elijah. And the Moses and the prophets, they wrote about Christ because just as Philip promised Nathaniel, now at this point, Moses and the prophets are here. They're focused on, and they're talking in there. But in John 145, John 145, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Here he is. He's the one who Moses and the prophets wrote about. And here's Moses in the law, the symbolism of the law, and the prophets symbol led by Elijah. They're there. So, These three, Peter, James, and John, they see for themselves that Jesus was not as others said about him, that he was, they remember in the last chapter, some people say you are Elijah. Some people says you are Jeremiah. They can see for themselves that he was, as described in Hebrews 1.4, Hebrews 1.4, being made so much better than the angels, he hath by an inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Ephesians 1.21, Ephesians 1.21, they could see for themselves that he was far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. They could see for themselves from the Colossians 1.18, Colossians 1.18, that he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now, 
it was also now obvious that the cross, because they're talking about the cross, the cross was not something so degrading and shameful. It, it was going to be an admirable, admirable, admirable accomplishment what he was going to do. And Moses and Elijah are talking about that. Moses and Elijah are not just standing there with Christ. It says in Matthew 17, 3, verse 3, verse 3, behold, there appeared unto Moses and Elijah talking with him. They were talking with him. Now, they were talking with him. Wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall? Wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall there listening to the conversation? This is not the president of the United States they're talking with. Well, that doesn't matter anyways. But anyway, this is Jesus. This is the king of the universe. This is the creator of everything. He's the creator of every man, every, every angel that there ever was, everything. He's upholding everything by the word of his power. He's the person who's holding atoms together. He's the judge of every man. He's the person who holds the keys to heaven and hell. He determines who's going to heaven, who's going to hell. He's the king of Israel. He's gonna fight and defeat all the enemies from Israel. He's the one who's going to establish Jerusalem as the center of the earth. He's going to reign from Jerusalem. So if you had a chance to talk with this person, with this Jesus, the creator, God Almighty, what would you talk about? Which one of those great topics that I just listed now would you want to talk to Jesus about? Because Moses and Elijah have the opportunity in verse 3. In verse 3, Moses and Elijah are talking with him. What were they talking about? Were they talking about him as a, talking about him when he did his great work of creation? Were they talking about how he saved Israel from the Egyptians, how he parted the Red Sea, saved the Jewish people? Were they talking about how he's going to defeat the Romans, how he's going to other interested people in, in Acts chapter one wanted to talk to him about was he going to establish the kingdom for Israel now? Were they talking about the future of Jacob's trouble? When all the nations are going to converge to destroy the Jewish people in Israel, where they're talking about how he's going to destroy all those nations. So which one of those great subjects are they talking about? Moses and Elijah, when they're talking to Jesus, none of them, none of them. They're talking about Luke 9.30, Luke 9.30. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. They're talking about the Lord's decease. His death, his upcoming death, that's what they're talking, that's what's burning in their hearts. Moses and Elijah, the death of Christ, of all the things to talk about, the death of Jesus, it sounds like such a morbid topic. It's a strange thing to be discussing. What would it be like if after church today, you found a friend and you said, let's go out to lunch together. And you're sitting at the table across and you're looking at each other and it says, what should we talk about? And your friend says, your death. <laughs> let's discuss your death. You'd say, my death, it's such a morbid topic there. Can we talk about anything else other than my dad? That's all they wanted to talk about, Moses and Elijah. They just wanted to talk about the death of Jesus. That's all they want to talk about is death. They didn't want to talk about his glory. They didn't want to talk about the glory he had before the world began. They didn't want to talk about the glory that was permeating through his, the fabric of his flesh at that moment. They didn't want to talk about the kingdom he's going to establish on earth. They didn't want to talk about how he's going to take the kingdom back from the Romans. The great tremendous issue, the burning issue that they want to talk about is his death, his sufferings and his death. I mean, think of it. On this Mount of Transfiguration where the deity of Jesus is broken through and they see this dazzling glory, and all they want to talk about is suffering to his death. With the revelation of his deity, all Moses and Elijah want to talk about to their friend is amazing love, 
how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? That's all I want to talk about. And this transfiguration of the Lord on this mount is the clearest display on earth that Jesus is God. And at this moment, with the revelation that Jesus is God, they're talking about the greatest humiliation that he's going to suffer and die on the cross. Why? Because Jesus, dying as a man, Jesus as God, dying as a man on the cross shows the greatest power of God. It shows the greatest, that God could be so powerful to humble himself, to become obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And that's what astounded Moses and Elijah. And that's all they want to talk about. So now all these things can be talked about on the subject of his death, but what in the world about his death? So what in the world do they want to talk about his death? Well, okay, so we finally settled ourselves. They want to talk about his death, so they're talking about his death. So what are they talking about his death? Are they talking about the details of where he's going to be arrested? Or are they talking about the details of where he's going to be tried and who are going to be the witnesses that are going to be against him, brought, testify against him in his trial? And what were going to be the charges that were going to be brought against him that he was supposedly worthy of, found worthy to die for? And are they going to talk about his pre-death pain that he's going to endure when he's scourged and so forth? Is or are they going to talk about how he's actually going to be killed or where he's going to be buried? I mean, what do they want to talk about? Death, okay, fine. What about his death do you want to talk about? Any of those things? None of it. Not at all. We're told what the issue is they want to talk about regarding his death, and it's none of those issues. One word is used to tell what they want to talk about, what they're talking about, the issue that they're talking over about his death. And that word is Luke 9, 31 again. Luke 9, 30, 31. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. The one word they want to talk about is accomplish. Accomplish. Verse 31, Luke 9, 31. Luke 9, 31. They spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Accomplish. Now, that's a strange thing to talk about in a death, accomplish. They were asking what he was going to accomplish in his death, and you would have thought that they would have been asking what he was going to accomplish before his death, but they were asking about what he was going to accomplish in his death, like my Ethiopian friend, Temeskin, who died at the age of 15 of osteosarcoma, when my Jewish friend, uh, his doctor, Rick Hodes in uh, Addis Ababa, asked him when he was 12 years old, he met him when he was 12 years old, when he was 12 years old and Rick knew that he had a fatal disease of osteosarcoma for which he couldn't recover, well, likely that he wouldn't recover. When he was 12 years old, Rick says to him, Temeskin, are you afraid to die? Wow, what a bedside manner he's got, huh? You need that for a doctor? Are you afraid to die? He asked the 12-year-old boy, Temeskin. And Temeskin, and this so, by the way, I want to tell you this, this so impressed Rick that when we had dinner together one night, Rick was the one who relayed this to me, not to Mexico. And Rick told me, looked me right in the eye, and he says, without a flinch, without a fear, without a, a drop, to Mexico, and says, no, Dr. Hodes, I'm not afraid to die because everyone's going to die, this 12-year-old wise boy says. Everyone's going to die. Sure, everyone's going to die. His father died. All his brothers and sisters had died. lived in a village not far from us where everybody dies, died pretty young. So he says, no, I'm not afraid to die, Dr. Holtz, because everyone's going to die. And it doesn't matter when you die. It matters what you do before you die. 12-year-old Ethiopian boy from a mud hut. Now, 
the question about what Elijah and Moses are talking about is not what he would accomplish before he died. And that's usually the way you think. Death, accomplish, oh, before you die, what do you accomplish? No, this is not what they're talking about. They're not talking about what he's going to do before he died. They're talking about what he would accomplish by his death, in his death. You know, the French have a phrase, you know, when I was over there in in the 60s, and um, I learned that the best way to speak French is to learn their mannerisms, because the French are very good at speaking in mannerism. Oh, can they are an art at expressing disgust. They're fantastic. They can express disgust like no one else. And I learned how to do that. And so, you know, they, they have this way they go, oof, that's what they do, you know? And then they have a phrase they'll put it on, they'll say, oof, a quoi Very popular in France to do that. Oof, a quoi is an interesting phrase. It's been translated, what's the point? Oh, what's the point? But it doesn't really, literally, it's not saying what is the point. And really, when you look at it, Moses and Elijah are discussing about aquasacer. Aquasacer literally means, what is this serving? What is this serving, you know? So, you know, Moses and Elijah were discussing aquasacer, la mordie, so in other words, they were talking about what is this going to accomplish? The death of Christ, the death of Jesus. Well, much was accomplished in the death of Jesus, and that's why when he died, he cried this one word, which it's translated in the Greek, detelestai, but, you know, when it says in the Bible, it is finished, but really, he didn't speak Greek from the cross. He spoke Hebrew. What he cried out was asa in Hebrew, asa, which was then translated. Anyway, asa, it means uh, done. It comes from the word to do or accomplished, accomplished. So what he cried out was accomplished. So what was it that he accomplished in his death? You know, John Owen wrote a book. John Owen wrote a book called The Death of Death and the Death of Christ, of Jesus. The Death of Death and the Death of Jesus. So what they were talking about was how the death, his death was going to accomplish the death of death. He accomplished the death of death and his death by destroying the person who had the power of death. Hebrews 2.14, Hebrews 2.14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So in his death, well, we have the picture from Genesis 3. In his death, Jesus is raising up his heel above the venomous snake, And even though the venomous snake bites the heel of Jesus, it doesn't stop him from coming down with a thud as he crushes the head. He is able in his death to crush the head of the serpent. Genesis 3.15, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. First accomplishment, Jesus achieved by his death the destruction of death itself by destroying the person who had the power of death, that's Satan. First accomplishment. Second accomplishment that Christ made by his death was the removal of the penalty for our sins. John one twenty nine. John one twenty nine. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. So when Jesus died as the Lamb of God on the cross, he took away the sin of the world. What's that mean? takes away the sin. Every person who repents of their sins and turns to Christ, he takes that person's sin and he erases it from the ledger book 
of the debts that that person owes to God, and he opens the door for that person to come to God. This is what's meant when God said in Isaiah 44, 22, Isaiah 44, 22, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, I have redeemed thee. This is what it meant when the invitation was given in Acts 3.19, Acts 3.19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. This is what it means in Hebrews 9.26, in Hebrews 9.26 when it says, he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Taking away sins means to blot them off or erase them from the list that brings the judgment of God, making it so that a person doesn't have to pay for his own sins. This is the second accomplishment that Jesus achieved when he died on the cross. He took sins away. The third accomplishment that Christ made by his death was reconciliation, reconciliation, or making it possible for us to be friends with God. Romans 5.10, Romans 5.10, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Reconciled by the death of his son. Without the death of Christ, a person can try all he wants to be a friend of God, and all he'll have is a dead religion of works, traditions, but no relationship with God. Because by ignoring the death of Christ with just a simple, I'm sorry for my sins, and I'll fast all day long, it's not going to result in a reconciliation with God. There's got to be a sacrifice as God says in Hebrews 9.22, Hebrews 9.22, almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without the shedding of blood is no remission. The fourth accomplishment that Christ achieved by his death was redemption, redemption. First Peter 1.18, first Peter 1.18, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot, without blemish. Redemption, a payment, Acts 20, 28, a payment, Acts 20, 28. The church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Redemption is a payment. Redemption is the same as ransom. It's a payment. It's a payment that causes a person to be released. Job 33, 24, Job 33, 24. He is gracious unto him and saith, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. See, Jehovah Jesus in the Old Testament said in Hosea 13, 14, Hosea 13, 14, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I'll be thy plagues. O grave, I'll be thy destruction. And then Jesus of Nazareth in the New Testament said that he would give his life for this ransom in Matthew 20, 28, Matthew 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That's the third accomplishment of his death. The fourth accomplishment Jesus achieved by his death was this that we're talking about here, the redemption or the pain. And now the fifth one, the fifth accomplishment that Jesus secured by his death was justification. Justification, Romans 3.23, Romans 3.23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Even though a person may have his sins removed from having to be paid for, he's still left with the stigma of being guilty. You've heard this when President Trump forgave Mike, or didn't forgive, 
They forgave somebody else, I forgot. And all people said, oh, yes, he's forgiven, but he's still guilty. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.